1: Welcome
0: to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I am your host, Bill Real. I'm grateful to have you with us today. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. That's R-E-E-L M-O-R-M-O-N at gmail.com. You can find this podcast on iTunes, but you're only going to find the most recent 20 or so episodes. So please check out the podcast at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. That's mormondiscussion, all one word, dot P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. You can also find us on Facebook under the name Mormon Discussion, all one word. Now, to what you've been waiting to hear. Mark Ashurst-McGee, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. I have uh, been leading up to this interview for some time. Uh, You work for the Church History Department, correct? That's correct. With a major focus on the Joseph Smith Papers Project, right?
2: Yes, there are several divisions in the department, and I'm in the Publications Division, which includes the Joseph Smith Papers Project. Awesome.
0: Mark, for those who don't, uh, who are not aware of who you are, would you mind just for a few minutes uh, just sharing a, maybe a brief bio of yourself, uh, and that way give listeners something to kind of get a start on.
2: Sure. I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then I went to Brigham Young University and majored in mathematics and history, minored in philosophy. And then ended up going to Utah State University for a master's degree in history, and finally Arizona State University for a Ph.D. in history. And I've been working on uh, personal and Mormon history projects, and working as a research assistant and um, doing Mormon history for since about 1992. I've been with the Joseph Smith Papers Project full-time since 2002, and I'm currently a senior historian here at the Church History Library.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, we're glad to have you on. It'll give us a chance to ask a few questions about the Joseph Smith Papers Project specifically, and then maybe some other issues generally. But I wanted to start off by asking you, what what was it early on that got you really excited about history that this was the path you went down
2: well um it, that goes back to uh high school and i was um i was converted to mathematics i trusted mathematics but i was kind of an angsty teenager and uh filled with doubts and didn't trust any other subject that i studied in school and um there was one other thing I trusted aside from mathematics, and that was the scriptures, the LDS scriptures. And it was the historical headnotes to the revelations in the Doctrine and Covenants that started getting me interested in church history. And, um, you know, seeing references, HC, to the history of the church, and then going, going to look some things up there and looking up some other things in my, in, uh, the Mormon history library that my parents had. Uh, that's where I started my interest in church history.
0: That's incredible. That's great. You know, it, history is one of those uh, fantastic subjects that I, I loved as well growing up. And, uh, I joined the church when I was 17 and when I did so I, I just grabbed every book I could on Mormonism and read everything and, and Obviously when we we do that, you know there's this general storyline or simplified story that we tell in church. And there's a reason for that. And I I think I've covered that before in multiple episodes. So I don't think my listeners will will be have any kind of conflict with hearing that spoken about. But what I want to talk about is in regards to the history department. It it feels like in the past that the church was not anxious to open up any uh, difficult history uh, to the average member of the church that they would prefer that members, you know, deal with the positive stuff that edifies and uplifts. And I, and again, I think there's value to that. But it seems like in the last couple of years that there's been a slight shift in that. And I think the Joseph Smith Papers project certainly speaks to this and being a lot more open with the history. Uh, what do you account for that general change of direction?
2: Um, well, I think uh, the deep roots of that actually are the uh, growth of the church. And the um professionalization of the field of history first, and then the um church history department workforce and in the in the early days of the historian's office, you know it was a smaller church um this was headquarters and um it was kind of a uh um amateur or i shouldn't say amateur but it was uh the people who were working in the historian's office were not trained as historians and so um you know of course in the uh in the 20th century the field of history uh professionalized and early and middle 20th century and uh, the church grew dynamically in the in the middle and late 20th century and the uh Church history department started hiring people with academic training in history, and I think things slowly just began to professionalize. Um, and there, there came to uh, it came to a point where um, the church needed to have the church history department needed to have a standardized, regular reasonable, defensible um access policy. And of course the the church owns um, a tremendous amount of records which are uh which cannot be made public. Um you know that's just very plain because um of course, disciplinary council records cannot be made public that's not appropriate it's not ethical. Financial records again need to be uh, kept confidential and private and those are uh, you know that's there are both ethical and legal considerations there um, so and then of course, uh, in the mormon religion the um, there are aspects of the Mormon temples which are considered sacred and private and uh not to be shared outside of the temple. And so <clears throat> there are many things that the church wants to and needs to uh keep restricted as a as a private corporation and as a as a church with uh sacred temple religion and financial records and church discipline and all those things. So um but, but all those things are different from, uh, the categories of just things that are just sensitive or things that make the church look bad or members of the church look bad or uncomfortable things in history. That's a, that's a separate category. And it used to be that the church was, you know, guarding its image and this is again natural from how the church was embattled with the government, and with American culture um, in the 19th century and going into the 20th. So it was natural to uh, feel guarded about uh, sources that were sensitive or uncomfortable, even if they didn't have anything in them that was sacred or private or confidential. And so um, it, it was really important uh, when it came to a point where the staff of the archives in the library uh, got together and hammered out a standard, regular, sensible, reasonable, defensible access and restriction policy to where there are certain records in the church which are uh, classified as sacred, private, or confidential that are have restrictions on them, and everything else is open to the public. Awesome. I, I'm, it does very much, and you pointed out a couple of things,
0: right? Because the critics like to come along and say that we're we're hiding a bunch of stuff in the first presidency vault, but on some level, there are things that are stored away that nobody's ever going to see that rightfully should be stored away that nobody should ever see, and and so sometimes this claim that there's things that we're we're hiding is is really a criticism that's unfair because nobody wants these disciplinary council records to be known to the public. They shouldn't be. They're they're confidential things and And so, the way you're explaining it helps us understand that that some of the criticisms that are made by those outside our faith that some of them really aren't uh aren't really fair ground to stand on um, and you also point out too the idea behind us having had historians in the past who were church leaders first and then called to serve as historians and we should expect a whole different approach with those brethren than with somebody who has academically done history their entire life
2: yeah, that's just natural and i think we've we've reached a point where um you know the the uh church history department is a department of the church it's under uh church supervision and ultimately under the supervision of the that you know it's under the supervision of the church historian who's a general authority and uh has advice from the quorum of the twelve apostles and so um you know it all it, the what we have now is we have a workforce of professionally trained uh historians and um, people from other uh related training that fits the needs of the department integrated with the church structure uh with the corporation of the president of the church and with the uh church historian and the and the Quorum 70 and the 12 apostles and the first presidency. And so what we, what we have reached now is I think a very healthy, um, integration of the, um, academically trained professional workforce with the, um, ecclesiastical supervision.
0: Right. And, and we talked about uh, on this podcast a couple weeks ago. You won't, you won't be aware of this, but we talked about this podcast a couple of weeks ago why, why some leaders in the past chose to be a little more protective of the faith and and how our church was a church that was persecuted heavily for years and years you know generations and how that mentality sometimes causes us to put up a uh, a wall at times to to exposing ourselves to damaging things and so some of those things you're speaking of I think certainly at home and I hope people listening recognize you know why the church did things the way they did and why they're doing things the way they are now in relation yep in in relation to the Joseph Smith papers project um how's it decided you know what's included and and what's left out?
2: How do you guys uh figure all that out Oh that's a really good question um, of course the uh <clears throat> platonic ideal in documentary editing is uh comprehension to have a comprehensive edition that publishes absolutely everything right um then the other side of the balance sheet there is the uh, financial realities, the funding and the institutional support, workspace, all of those kinds of issues. You have to balance out what you want to do with what you're able to do. And traditionally, um, you know, there there's really haven't been any major documentary editions that have been able to be uh, entirely comprehensive and uh, the fact of the matter is you really there's a sense in which you really wouldn't want to be uh, absolutely comprehensive in terms of um, publishing on paper all of the different versions of a certain document For example, we have revelations that exist in many different versions, but it's essentially the same text over and over again. Uh, This is also the case with regard to what's called, um, normally in the field we call routine documents, and these are documents that are of a very routine nature and kind of the same thing over and over again. So, for example... um, Kirtland banknotes or uh elders licenses that were signed by Joseph Smith and it's just the same form, printed form that's that's signed over and over and over and over again, and you don't want to print every single one of those in paper, right? Um, however there's uh traditionally what projects have done is they've tried to do a comprehensive edition uh, in microfilm or online and then do a very selective edition in print. And, uh, ultimately that's kind of the same traditional path that the Joseph Smith Papers Project will follow. So online at our website, which is, uh, dot pa- www.josephsmithpapers.org, we will attempt to put post up every document that we can gain access to, and we have the full cooperation of the church. Uh, however, um, there are Joseph Smith documents that are in private possession um, among the uh, Mormon history collecting community that we don't necessarily have, or have access to, or have permission to publish or uh, text or images of. So that's that's a long answer to a short question. The, The main idea is that the website will try to include absolutely everything, and the print volumes will still be fairly comprehensive, but they'll have to be somewhat selective in terms of the amount of those that we can afford to produce and um in terms of handling different versions of documents and um making selections among routine documents
0: excellent i I want to ask kind of a two part question here. You had mentioned uh some of the leaders that that you work with the uh, church historian, assistant church historian, and those above them, and so recognizing that uh Brother Snow is the church historian, and Brother Richard Turnley is the assistant church historian, I believe. And uh, both of those men have, yep. Yeah, and both of those men have offices in the same building that you work in, correct?
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Do you see much of them? You see them around, yeah. Okay. The the question I want to ask is, and maybe this will be a difficult one because I'm not asking you to put words in their mouth at all, but recognizing that we have general church members who are called to the position of church historian. So, for instance, Brother Snow may, in his own private time, growing up, maybe he liked history, but that wasn't a calling that came because he was a historian. That was a calling that came as a, as a spiritual calling within the church. And I recognize that Brother Turley is, uh, in many ways a historian, so, so maybe this doesn't apply to him. But do we know if people like Elder Snow and others who have served as ch- church historian, Brother Jensen, Marlon Jensen before him, if they're aware of the difficult issues, and, and not only if they're aware of them, but if they're if they're aware of why they bother and trouble some members,
2: does that make sense? It does make sense, and I I can tell you that they're very aware of those issues. Um, they uh, you know they travel uh, in their other church assignments, and they attend various um, conferences and meetings and events where all of these things come up. I was just in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, at the annual meeting of the John Whitmer Historical Association, and both Elder Snow and Rick, the church historian and assistant church historian, were both there. And we were, you know, sitting together through these different sessions of the history conference where all manner of controversial historical episodes and aspects of church history came up. So they're very aware of those. And um, as, as you may know, Elder Jensen um, somewhat addressed, uh, is, is on the record to some extent addressing uh, these concerns and expressing uh, concern about uh, members who are struggling with um, issues of faith and history. Elder Snow is the same way.
0: Good. And and that's good. And I think members that are struggling want to hear that. They want to know that, that leaders are aware of why these things bother them or trouble them as they try to work through the context of them and try to figure out how to make heads and tails and find a way to lead with faith. That uh, that the leaders are also aware of it, and, and perhaps that means that some some other thoughts and help is coming down the pipe, which I think we're already seeing from Elder Uchtdorf's recent conference talk, Elder Holland's talk from the past conference. But the the follow up question to that then, with with having those two in the building and having them aware of the issues, as you're working on the Joseph Smith. Papers project, and as and as that project has openly covered things such as Joseph using seer stones and discussion of polygamy and polyandry and those types of aspects of church history, how have you guys? You meaning uh, Mark Ashurst, McGee, and and the rest of the group working on this project. How do you guys work alongside with these two leaders? How does that um? How does that organization work? in putting this project together? I mean, every time you guys discover something, do you guys have to run things by them, or are they putting in constant input on how to include something or how something should be shaped?
2: No. Their their main interaction, I think, with the project has been, um, you know, overseeing budgets and schedules. Um, Other than that... um, they're not really involved in the nitty gritty of the history. I mean, that's what the staff is for. But when a volume, um has been put together and has run through the, uh, internal review of the project itself, then the volumes do get run up the line to, uh, both Edler Snow and, uh, Brother Rick Turley. Uh, Are they reading the whole book? For their review. Um, you know, I if they had enough time, I'm sure they'd love to read the whole book. Um, I'm sure I I guess that Rick probably has read all the way through most or all of the volumes, but they don't necessarily read all the way through.
0: Gotcha. It sounds like you guys have a lot of freedom to to oversee the project yourselves and to to include what needs included and to leave out what doesn't really add to uh, to the comprehensive history of of the church
2: yes i've you know that was a a concern to me when I first hired on to the project but um I feel very comfortable with uh how things have gone i don't feel like the project um, has lost its uh scholarly freedom now it is, i I should say it is uh this is a uh church funded project it's it is being worked on by employees of the church under the supervision of church leaders ultimately so um there's no guarantees of what could happen anything is possible i suppose in the future but um I've been with the project for over a decade now, and uh I feel great about the uh scholarly integrity of the project.
0: Awesome. When I was when I was at the Church History Department on my trip to uh Utah for the Fair Conference, uh had a wonderful chance to walk through a lot of the areas of your building and got an idea of some of the projects and things that people were working on. I know that the critics point to the Council of Fifty Minutes as a document that they have long waited to get their hands on and uh, have supposed what is in there. Um and obviously we probably need to wait till the, to the Joseph Papers uh, volume comes out. But, uh, what has been your impression of working with that document?
2: It's a, it's a tremendous document. There's great information in it. And, you know, like you say, because it hasn't been available, people have made guesses and predictions about its contents and what is and is not in there. Um, and as you might imagine you know i think it's just going to be um it will you know live up to some things more than people expected not won't live up to other expectations and um you know there's there are the sensational aspects of the council of 50 um in uh in some history and in journalism but uh, and, and anti-mormonism but the you know, the historical value of the minutes will be readily apparent to serious historians who care about uh Nabu and the founding era.
0: Right. It, it You know, you've talked about each volume having some document that uh, had been with the first presidency and, and not really available until that volume came out. And it seems like with this volume, with the Council of Fifty Minutes, you've really uh, really topped that with something that everybody's looking forward to. Does that kind of set a high bar for volumes coming in the future?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, um, you know, we're just publishing Josephus's papers, whatever they are is what we publish and and uh not everything is as interesting to some people as it is to others. We have, you know, loads of documents that many people would consider boring and, you know, they are what they are and different people will appreciate different kinds of documents and it's it's really kind of a straightforward uh, papers project in that respect. We don't feel beholden to uh, any bar for producing sensational products.
0: Okay. So the next volume is not like, hey, we have to go into the First Presidency Vault and find some other thing to, to put in the next one. <laughs> okay. I know the books have sold well at Deseret Book and other other places, and uh, and I assume that will continue. Is there a set plan for how many volumes come after the current one you're working on?
2: Not uh well not exactly we're you know we're we're shooting for about two dozen volumes. Um not everything is set in stone exactly but something around there.
0: Excellent. That'll be quite a resource. I mean that's going to be quite comprehensive. It'll be difficult for any one person to to be an expert on all of those, but it sounds like you're putting together a wealth of information that will change the dynamics I think for generations to come.
2: I think it will too, and we've already started to see the beginning of that with the, uh, new section headings for the, for the 2013 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants.
0: Mark, the, the other question I wanted to ask you was, I know in the past that the way in which materials come forward in the church and the things that we get during the three hour block on Sundays, that the history department has been kind of a separate entity from that. And that I know that in the last few years, and hopefully going forward, that the history department has a little more influence on on the things that we get to talk about and discuss during the three-hour block on our Sundays during church. And and wondered if you could maybe share if, if you've had a chance to have uh, within your department or you personally any influence uh, in what the church does in regards to the three-hour block on Sundays.
2: Well, I can kind of tell you the general d- direction of the trajectory that I think things are on. And again, I don't speak for the Elder Snow or the department. But uh, looking back at it historically for for a long time, just up until the last few years, the church history department was essentially um, a combination of the archives, the church archives, the church library, and the church Museum. And the department supported those three institutions. And so it was really kind of a uh, repository institution. But the the real purpose of the church history department is bigger than that. In, in addition to uh, collecting and preserving history um, and sharing it with people who walk into the archives or the library or the museum, it needs to be shared in a greater sense in other words the church history department needs to be doing history it's not the church library department or the church archives department it's the church history department and so in the just 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 over the last few years the department has been reorganized to reflect that vision of of the mission of the department and so now we have the Joseph Smith Papers Project going. Um, we have the Revelations in Context going on the website and several other different things going on on the website. And so the the department is moving into producing, not only keeping records, but producing history. And as that happens, it's only reasonable that this needs to be, uh, at least to some extent, Synchronized with uh, the other church materials that bear on church history um, in whatever curricula, so the I'd say the general direction is that the department will be in better communication with the other departments of the church, and that that influence will already has and will continue to um, influence um, regular church curriculum.
0: Mark uh, Mark another question I had for you. You talked about this um, church website and I believe you're talking about the the history.lds.org. Is this the Revelations in Perspective?
2: Revelations and, in Context is one of the offerings right. on the Church History website.
0: Right. And that caught people's eyes a few months ago. There was an article on there about uh, Oliver Cowdery and him working the the divining rod. Uh, which which Joseph and others perhaps called the Rod of Aaron. I, I just wanted to ask, does your department you, you make it sound like you guys have a big uh influence on this website as well. Is that the case?
2: Yeah, several of those um, several of those treatments in the revelations and context series were done by editors of the Joseph Smith Papers project who had recently worked on those revelations for the document series.
0: Awesome. And I want to just make a mention to my listeners. If you are not aware of this little side site on the church's website, you you ought to check it out. There is really a bunch of stuff there, including a lot of information on the Joseph Smith papers. But it is at history.lds.org. And there are several different uh, sections that you can kind of click into. Uh, The one that Brother uh, Ashurst McGee is speaking of is the uh, Revelations in Context uh, section, but but there's just a wealth of information here, and and if you're if you're struggling to find the context of some revelation in the church or some document or information, this would be a wonderful place to start. I, I assume we can expect this site to get a whole lot bigger uh, over the upcoming years, correct?
2: Yes, there uh, there's now uh, a handful of full-time employees that are working on the website, and it will continue to grow. Yes. The, uh, the Joseph
0: Smith paper volumes, they're, they're certainly affordable. They're not, they're not terribly expensive. I've, uh, I've been on, uh, to the point here the next time I get in contact with some of these books without having to pay for shipping, next time I'm in a church bookstore or something, I'm gonna pick some of these up. But is there a way that at some point these will be online available to like the general public without having to, to purchase them, or is this gonna always probably be a, a book that you're gonna to have to, to buy?
2: Well, that's a good question, and, uh, the answer is that Eventually, everything will be online, and um, that 's important to the church that members don 't have to pay to be able to have this information, so it will all be made available online in time awesome is Is
0: there an index assuming this all takes place right there'll be an index somewhere where somebody can go and look at it I guess what i 'm getting at there's a lot of things that the church has in its possession church you know historical documents. Do you guys have an index that you work off of? Is there a way that, you know, you guys as researchers, as people in the department looking for different documents, is there a master list of everything the church has so that you can kind of figure out where to start your search?
2: Yes. It's called the uh Church History Library Catalog. And it's it's like uh any other uh major library catalog and it um has, you know, several search functions. And um, we use it all the time. Um, and, of course, um, as you may know, uh, libraries uh, catalog everything at item level, you know, with a book as the model. Archives, where you're um, collecting and storing hundreds and thousands of pages uh, of different collections that come in, um, normally don't have item level description, They'll describe things in uh, in ser- at series level and and uh, for certain collections you'll have uh, registers or uh, finding aids and guides of various kinds and um, we have those as well here, and um, I know that they've started and maybe they're finished by this point of integrating those finding aids registers and other finding aids into the catalog into the online catalog.
0: Right, and, and then years in the past, I think it would be fair to say that that because, of, and I don't, I don't even know what the first presidency vault looks like. I'm imagining this this safe like a bank would have, where you huge thing that you open up and go into. I don't know what the case is, but I know that at some point in the past, the the leaders may have been not completely aware of everything that was in there. But I assume we're to a point now where everything that's in there is is part of this index. Now, obviously, some things probably are accessible and some things are not but everything is at least indexed and and everybody has kind of a clue in your department or within the the church hierarchy of of what's in the church's possession and what isn't. Is that a fair question? Yeah, that's
2: a fair question. Um, the uh, holdings of the first presidency are separate from the uh, church history department. So the, the church history library catalog does not catalog uh, the holdings of the first presidency. Um, in terms of the Joseph Smith Papers project, um, my understanding is that the project has access to everything that's appropriate, uh, everything needed for the Joseph Smith Papers, everything that uh, we would need as a Joseph Smith document. My understanding is that um, they've been able to uh, go through their holdings and provide us with that material.
0: Great, good. All right, I want to finish up with just a couple little questions about some things you've done personally. I know uh, you wrote, I believe, your master's thesis on about a 400-page uh, paper regarding the the seer stones and the thumbum, Is that correct? So I don't know if you don't mind me asking a couple of questions that just that I was thinking of as I was printing off um, a lot of your your paper yesterday and trying to at least glance through it. I thought it was amazing. I, I can't imagine how long it took you to put that together. I don't know if you want to share with us how long it took.
2: Uh, I s- spent a few years on that. Um, I think, let's see, I guess three years on that, not full-time, but um, through my coursework and and in my thesis hours, it, took, it did take extra time to write one that long.
0: Right. I think you actually probably worked quite fast because I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the 400 or so pages of that uh, that product and and thinking to myself this would take me a decade uh to even begin to to put together so so hats off to you
2: it was a lot I, of hard work
0: yeah yeah and i and i can appreciate that i hope people We'll uh, check into it. You can you can still purchase uh, that paper online. I'll leave the link for that on the listing for this episode. But a couple things I wanted to ask you: there was some discussion about the Urim and thumbum, and I've seen a couple pictures that show these these spectacles that could be folded in half. And that on one lens there was a triangle that faced, you know, up, and then on the other lens a triangle that faced down. And when these folded, that it would make the Star of David. And and I, as I'm sitting here thinking about the Urim and Thummim and seer stones and all that goes into, the, you know, the early translation of the Book of Mormon. Um, any thoughts from you on what the Urim and Thummim may have looked like? I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of witness statements, but I don't know that they're as descriptive as I'd. I'd love to really hear what those things. Uh, what those things look like.
2: Yes, well, um, we do have a few descriptions of the spectacles from Joseph Smith and others. Joseph Smith, of course, claimed to have seen them um, The three witnesses um i th- claim to have seen them in their vision of the golden plates in their witness experience and Lucy Macsmith claims to have handled them under uh some fabric. And it's from Lucy MacSmith that you only that you get the description of the uh lenses as um three cornered diamonds as she puts it. So they mm-hmm. apparently uh three cornered or triangular shaped diamond or some other uh transparent rock uh, encased within uh, these crystalline lenses of the spectacles. That She's the only one who describes them in that way. She doesn't say how the triangles are situated. She doesn't talk about the lenses folding in half. Nobody does. Nobody talks about the lenses folding in half. Um, it's possible that if you were to look through the lenses, the the way the triangles are would make a star of David, but that's that's just speculation.
0: Right, right. Well, I appreciate that, and I and I realize I'm drawing on something that you wrote uh, many years ago, and so I, I'm not expecting you to to pull every single detail right off the top of your head. Um, there's no way to to probably even remember 400 pages worth of information. But um, the other thing I was thinking about too, we we speak a little bit about Joseph's treasure hunting experience when he is when he's younger. And Brant Gardner has talked a little bit about Joseph being more of a lost item finder who did some treasure hunting upon request when Josiah, Josiah Stoll sought him out. And this is something I spoke of on an episode or two ago on my podcast, where we have some information from Joseph being essentially the neighborhood guy you go to if you lost something, and he would, through his seer stone, help you find it. And then we have Josiah Stoll from a long distance away coming to seek out Joseph's services. Would it be, from your understanding, would it be a fair narrative to see Joseph as just this local lost item finder who happens to do treasure digging once or twice but is really not a treasure digger? Is that is that a fair paradigm to put
2: Joseph into? I think that's... Uh, I do. I think that's fair enough. Although we, I mean, we know that he dug for treasure more than once or twice. But, uh, how many times did he dig for treasure is uncertain. Dan Vogel, um did an article in Dialogue in 1994 where he tried to, uh, enumerate all the different digs, specific digs that are attributed to Joseph Smith. And he comes up with a list of about 20 different digs over the course of seven or eight years which, um, you know, how, how, much, how much digging is that really? Um, you know, it's averaging a dig or two every year. Um, I think that's probably more con- concentrated in some years. And I also think that some of those digs that uh, Vogel compiles are, are uh, probably not true. In terms of this point about Joseph being primarily uh or of having a wider role of seer than being a treasure seer, and of being primarily someone who finds lost things, uh, that's a, a point I also made in my thesis and I was drawing on Richard Anderson there, and I believe he's the first person to make this point, and he's using um the uh Later published notes that were taken during the 1826 court proceeding, and in the section where Joseph Smith's testimony is reported, um, Joseph himself is uh, reported as having saying of uh, saying that he helped people find things that were lost, and that on occasion he searched for treasure, and so. Uh, i I don't know how accurate those notes are in representing what he said, but um that really is one of our very best sources on uh Joseph Smith's role as a seer and as a treasure seer um because it apparently is contemporaneous um whereas most of the things about Joseph Smith and treasure seeking come after the golden plates and the book of mormon and often uh years and even decades and even a half a century after the fact and this is after joseph smith has made a splash in the religious scene and uh a controversial one and people looking back on him are especially interested in this treasure seeking angle um and use it, uh, deliberately and, and it's easy to see that they use it deliberately to discredit him. And this is more, this is more sensational than his role as someone who helps people la- lose, find things that are lost, which we can also document. There's less documentation there and I don't think that is representative of the reality of of the contemporaneous reality, I think it's more representative of, um, the, uh, sensationalism of treasure seeking and how that's used in later years to discredit him.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's good. That, that is good. And one thing I want to follow it up with really quick is, do we know, I mean, Josiah Stoll is somewhere near Harmony, Pennsylvania. Joseph is in Palmyra, New York. And, Yet Josiah somehow catches wind. I, I don't. I don't get the feeling like Joseph's putting ads in the newspaper, right? I mean, he's not saying, "You know, treasure digger for hire."
2: Yes. Well, um, Stoll, when he approaches Joseph Smith or hears about him, he's been at Simpson Stowell, which I believe is his brother, who does live up in Joseph Smith's neck of the woods.
0: Gotcha. So he's catching wind of Joseph's. Reputation, and on some level, right, Joseph has to be somewhat successful on some level with this, with this ability to help people find things. And I think Brant Gardner or somebody else has recorded that at least one or two instances of Joseph having been successful in locating something.
2: Smiths don't just work on their farm, they're, they hire out as day laborers. And they, uh, they hired out as well diggers, as we know, and that was apparently connected with, uh, Joseph Sr.'s water witching. Possibly some right. with Joseph Jr. So they do; they don't just—they're not just there on their farm. They do uh travel somewhat in the local area as uh, laborers, and possibly um, in connection with their gifts.
0: Right, and that's it. I'm I'm trying to word this carefully because I don't want to. I'm not trying to come off as making this sound more um, witchcrafty than what it is. I think there are things that are going on that, in today's perspective, we really don't we no longer see as okay, and, and we don't understand for sure. And when we say Joseph Smith and his his sons were hired out as as digging wells, in our present Understanding, we simply want to say that these guys were good at digging a hole, but in reality, in their day, they had to be great at finding water. And, and so there's some level of them having an ability that is recognized by the community as being a real ability to locate things that the average person can't do.
2: Yeah, the, the sources that we have do point in that direction. Of course, there's no great documentation on the 1820s. It just doesn't exist. Almost everything is retrospective, but uh, putting all the sources together and looking at them, it, they do point in that direction. And uh, of course, that was very, very common in early America to uh, douse your wells before you dug them. And it's, and in fact, it's still common in America.
0: Yeah, when I talk about it on my podcast, I'll get an email or two. Whenever I mention it in one of my episodes from somebody who says they either have their dad or uncle or somebody they know who who still does that today and and swears that it works.
2: Well, I've so, I've had plumbers out of my house that have pulled out their copper rods to find a line. Okay. So there we go. Um
0: I wanna finish off just asking briefly about seer stones. Do we do we know if we have in the in, in the church's possession any of the original seer stones that Joseph used?
2: Uh, there's every every indication of that. The uh, that's uh, best treated in um, D. Michael Quinn's book on early Mormonism and the magic worldview. Okay. Um, he produces several sources from earlier in the church's history indicating that uh, the church has has uh, at least a couple of Joseph Smith seer stones.
0: But in your work with the Joseph Smith papers, it's not something that you guys have asked. For- for to take a picture of, or to see, or to look at, or or to inspect. Okay, um, and then I want to end on a humorous note. When I joined the church, and and I read No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody before joining, so I was aware of Joseph and treasure digging and seer stones and all that before I even got baptized. And and at an early age, one of the things I tried to do was I would go find neat looking rocks outside and uh, and try to you know put them in my hand and block out the light and see if I could see anything. Um, being a history nut and being aware of that stuff, is that something you've ever tried to do?
2: No, I don't really. I, uh you know, I I believe that Joseph Smith had this ability and I believe that God can speak to man in that way if he so chooses. I myself have never really felt anything like that. You know, it's been a great, uh, obviously it's been of great interest to me historically, but uh I guess I don't feel like it's, a spiritual gift of my own.
0: I got you. So officially, for my listeners, I'm the nutcase, and you're the one who's who's saying because <laughs> because I've tried that several times when I was younger to to go. I'd be walking outside, and I would just see some neat little rock among other rocks that was different, and uh, and and try to be silly for just ten seconds and say, okay, maybe this one, maybe this one works.
2: That's that's the anthropological method of participant observation. You can. Instead of being in a nutcase, you can be the anthropologist and I'll just be the okay. historian.
0: <laughs> awesome. If, if people want to know more about you or the Joseph Smith papers, we've already shared the, the historical website on the church's, uh, the link from the church's site. Any other things that people, you'd recommend people go look up or go look into and to try to find out more?
2: No, I would just highly recommend looking at the at the website. It is free, and uh, it's uh, there's already a tremendous amount of great material there. And besides Deseret Book, is there any other places that are carrying the Joseph Smith Papers volumes? Oh yeah, it's it's been distributed much more widely than just Deseret Book.
0: Okay, so Amazon and other places people can probably get their hands on those.
2: Uh, or any any of the major online book dealers.
0: Excellent. Mark Ashurst-McGee, thank you so much for being on the program today.
2: Uh, it's been fun, Bill. Thank you.
1: Come thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melody star sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise. My Ebenezer Here by thy great help I've come And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home Jesus sought me when a stranger Wandering from the fold of God To rescue me from danger Interposed His precious blood blood. Oh, that day when freed from sinning I shall see Thy lovely face Clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing Thy sovereign grace Come, my Lord, no longer tarry Take my ransomed soul away Send Thine angels now to carry Me to realms of endless day